Welcome to Technology Forward, where we explore trends and developments in the additive manufacturing industry. Additive manufacturing suits a number of industries, including automotive. However, many potential users feel the typical material, some type of plastic, is a limitation. I'm here today with Jonah Meyerberg, co-founder and CTO of Desktop Metal, to discuss how metal 3D printing eliminates some of these limitations and how it can transform the production of automobiles. So thank you for joining me today, Jonah. My pleasure. What overall impact do you see 3D printing AM having on the auto industry? For example, is it going to be just another tool in the, two box, in the toolbox, or is it going to be a game changer? Oh, that's a great question, a great way to look at it. Um, and I think the answer really is that it's, that it's going to be both, uh, depending on who you are um, and what you do in the automotive industry. So to everyone, it's certainly going to be a tool. Uh, it's going to be a tool that, that is really required to do your job efficiently and competitively in the automotive industry. So everyone will need 3D printing in one way or another to, to be able to react quickly to customers uh, and their, and their, de- their demands, you know, to prototype, prototype of components and parts you know, to, to keep, the, keep with the current uh, designs and change and innovate, as well as to produce you know, low-volume components, low-volume production for their customers and to keep their customers um, and to remain flexible for their customers and for other customers. So to be able to not just invest in one customer and one customer's design, but to stay flexible um, and be able to produce parts for many, many customers' designs that might be slightly different. But then to others, it's going to be a real game changer. 3D printing, additive manufacturing is going to enable you know, industries and, and technologies like the uh, electric vehicle by being able to go lightweight and more, much more efficient and much more optimized. It's going to be a, the great equalizer for small companies that uh, are trying to compete with the big companies. Um, so you're going to see the birth of new Tier 1 suppliers that are really focused on AM um, that may not have been able to compete in the past. And it's really going to change the way that designers think about um, automotive design forever. So in that way, it's really going to be a game changer. Now, in the past, I know that AM has been used primarily for custom parts or pieces and usually within the interior of a car. Are we talking about something that's going beyond that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, for sure. With metal AM, now additive manufacturing can be applied to any component within the car. I think there is going to be very... It's going to be hard to keep additive manufacturing out of each location now that it can tolerate the temperatures and the strengths of the other alloys that are, that are being used in the engines and suspension systems and transmissions. We're, we're going to see additive manufacturing playing in every aspect of, uh, of a vehicle now. Hmm. Okay. Now, I know that you've mentioned earlier that there's something called the Circular Car Initiative. Can you go into some detail on that? Sure, yeah. So this is where it gets, uh, you know, really exciting. The, you know, the, the car is, is the, and the automotive industry is really uh, a major focus of the World Economic Forum and um, how do we, you know, how do we uh, make our transportation systems more efficient and less impactful on the environment. Um, and, of course, you know, electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles, hydrogen vehicles are all a play on that, uh, as are um, you know, the, the things that we do to limit the traffic on the roads and, and carpool and, and, and consolidate our transportation. But what's not often 
thought about is the um, you know the the impact that the actual car itself has on the environment as it as it goes into uh, its end of life um, and then recycles and um, and at that point all of the things that we've done to make the car the car more efficient uh, to make it lightweight and and less impactful on the environment could could then become a problem of you know such as uh, you know low weight plastics. Um, that are found on the on the car. What do you what do you do with those uh, at the end of a car's life? Uh, you can't melt them down um, and turn them mm-hmm. back into um, their components again. In in metals, you you basically have an endless recycling stream. But in plastics, you can recycle your plastic components maybe back into a carpet, and then it goes into the landfill. Um, so that's mm-hmm. where I think these the circular the circular vehicle initiative is looking for answers and looking for ways to, to make vehicles fully recyclable. Uh, and we're, we're seeing that happen in, in electric vehicles and in the, the battery packs that, that you know, might only be able to produce uh, 80% of their original driving uh, life on the road, but take the battery pack out and put it on the grid, and it's perfectly good for another 10 or 15 years. So those types of creative uh, thinking are, are extending the, the lives of the automotive components or either um, reducing the uh, impact that the, that the vehicle has on the environment after its death. We're going to see plastic components being replaced by metal components for, for that reason. So what kind of plastic components are ripe for replacing with 3D printed metal components? Oh, yes. So more and more of the complex assemblies uh, that we see on, inside of the vehicle are assemblies of or composites of, of polymers or of, of metal components of, of buried within the composites of polymers. And I think that those, those types of complicated assemblies are ripe for um, that right type of additive manufacturing that can step in, um, combine three, four, five, ten parts into one, and then go in and, and, and really uh, replace an entire system with a uh, with single or, or multiple components that weigh, weigh the, the same or less, take up either uh, less space and, and are, uh, are fully recyclable. These are often very expensive injection molding machines that, uh, that produce these parts. Uh, and so there's a huge investment on the uh, part of the OEM uh, or the part of the, um, the Tier 1 molder to um, you know, to, to begin to make these components. And then once you've tooled them up, you don't want to change them. You want to make sure that you make mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands before you, you kill that design um, or else it doesn't make economic sense. Um, so mm-hmm. maintaining that type of flexibility now instead of having to use tools. And most plastic parts are, are formed with, with tools, especially the cosmetic ones. Um, so being able to remove that constraint is an important one. And then, as I mentioned before, about going into the engine compartment, now uh, there are high-strength, high-temperature polymers that are applied in the engine compartment. But again, they're, they're nowhere near uh, the strength and the temperature that, uh, that metals can handle. Um, so as you, as you replace those components with, uh, with metal parts, you can, you can then raise their localized temperatures um, and uh, even combine them uh, in areas with, with the metal components that they may protect uh, or protect from. And then, like you said, cosmetic components, those are, those are still very big. Um, and you see a number of metalized components within the interior and even in the exterior of the vehicle that look like metal. 
as you walk around the vehicle. They, they shine like mm-hmm. chrome, um, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're they're plastic and they're just coated, metalized with a uh, with a with a paint or even with a with a metal metalized component that, that looks like metal. So those components we're going to see uh, being replaced with instead of a solid plastic component, uh, maybe a hollowed out uh, stainless steel component. You get much better life. Uh, you won't get, you won't add any weight, and you get better recyclability. I was going to ask you, what kind of materials are we talking about here for the metal 3D printing that would be suitable in automotive? I think automotive would love to use really, really fancy materials like titanium, super high-performance materials like the uh, aerospace industry uses, but they simply can't afford them. And Uh so uh, we're going to continue to work on making those types of materials more and more affordable uh, because they would play a big benefit in, in the designs of automotive uh, vehicles. But the main components in a, in a, a car right now are the uh, uh, steel. Steel is by far the most prevalent throughout the vehicle, it's, but, the, um, but aluminums also. And so I think we're going to be looking at lightweight materials and high-strength, uh, high-corrosion-resistant materials as well. Okay. So those are the positives of using metal 3D printing for automotive. What are some of the limitations, though, of 3D printing? Yes, yeah, and I see these as as challenges that we face. Uh, Where are we beginning to run up against the ceiling of opportunities? Um, And and I'll start with saying that, that, you know, 3D printing is not uh, new to being applied to the automotive industry. It's just a matter of where it could currently apply. Um, where, where, where its limits and plastic parts, plastic 3D printed parts uh, currently have significant limits when they when it comes to you know going into a vehicle and becoming a fully functional component. Um, so the same thing happens when you apply a new material and a new process like uh, metal 3D printing. Even desktop metals, uh, metal 3D printing has its own limits. And so what we're looking at right now are uh, size limits. Uh, you know I'd love to be able to say we mm. could print uh, a car chassis or a body in white. Because these are hugely complicated assemblies that are, you know, very much static assemblies designed for crash and stability and stiffness, but with no moving parts, right, welded together. Uh, hundreds of parts come together to form a body in white or a, a, a welded sheet metal assembly that, that forms the chassis of the vehicle. And it would be fantastic to be able to optimize that into a single piece and print it. Uh, we're not there but we are certainly working on technologies that will get us there because that's kind of the end game. You know, we want to see these parts grow uh, out of a 3D printer in, in real, real size and, real, in, and in a single, single form. But that, that is, would that's actually one of the current be quite limitations. fascinating. That, well, that would be kind it of fascinating be. because I know with, with the materials, you can place certain characteristics, certain mechanical characteristics in certain places in a part. So, yeah, you could have shock absorbing, you could have all kinds of impact absorbing, you could have other things in a you're 3D exactly printing right. Yes, you're exactly right. And that when you start to look at that, like making one part out of one print uh, that has, you know, you can start to put these, multi, these different features, different aspects in different areas. It can be certain, it can be flexible in one area and stiff in another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the design, the design that that opens up, you know, to, to engineers who are looking at this and saying, okay, how do, I, how do I make this car? And they design the chassis as much for its performance on the road as mm-hmm. for it, its manufacturability. 
And so if you can lessen or, or change one of those constraints, then it opens up so many different opportunities in the other one. So yeah, I, I, you dream, this is the stuff you dream about, right? Being able to <laughs> design an entire, entire vehicle at one time and then print it out and have, um, it, have it be optimized for crashing, impact, suspension, performance, all in one. So that's really exciting, but we're, not, we're, we're certainly not there yet. And in fact, we're up against these current manufacturing processes that are very much uh, focused in, around sheet metal. And sheet metal has an aspect ratio that's you know, very wide and flat um, and low profile and then gets stamped into these shapes. Those are, mm-hmm. not, the, those are not the easiest things to 3D print um, in metal. Yeah. Uh, sheet, sheet metal is not a friendly design, and so you designers, if they're going to replace a sheet metal fabricated assembly with a 3D printed part, they really have to go back to the drawing board and they have to remove mm. that part and redesign it uh, under the, the loads that, that are being placed on it. But really removing the geometry itself, it's not an easy design to cut and paste. You can't take a sheet metal part and just print it. It's, um, it's just, it, those, that's a very difficult aspect ratio to maintain. So um, that's, that's another challenge is, is how do we then go about replacing sheet metal parts and assemblies 3D printed and that is up to the designers. The designers have to spend the time to redesign these areas to really untap the potential of 3D printing. Uh, and if they do, if they learn the new rules of 3D printing and they redesign using those rules, um, then they'll really see the benefit and be able to remove components from assemblies. And one, and one of the tools they're using right now is generative design. Uh, and right. generative design helps them um, helps them to uh, really untap that potential because that is, uh, you know, that's using AI to do the heavy lifting. I think the designer has the best perspective on uh, the constraints that the, the part must meet, the functional constraints. Um, you, so the designer adds that value and says, okay, you, part, you can't exist here, but you can exist here. It says, uh, you know, these are the loads that you must uh, be able to handle. Um, I want you to become the lightest weight part possible. And then the system, the general design system, it owns the rules for manufacturing. It knows what can and can't be printed. And so it makes the part, it designs the part automatically for, um, you know, for additive manufacturing. It designs it optimized for its manufacturing process. And it does the heavy lifting of playing within those boundaries that it's been given um, and then optimizing and finding the uh, the best solution. Um, otherwise, that's up to the designer, and that designer spends so much time doing that uh, when he could just apply the rules and come back and see the design, um, and then tweak the rules if he really wants to and do another design. Now, is one of the limitations of metal 3D printing scale? The, in other words, trying to produce a million parts of the same thing with a specialized 3D printing material, is, is that going to be one of the limitations? Or are, so are we only going to see this in very custom cars? Uh, no, I don't think so. But right now, um, metal 3D printing in particular, in the state-of-the-art metal 3D printers that have existed over the past 20 years, um, volume or uh, you know, the number of components that could be produced in a set number of time or, or 
I should say, per machine or per dollar invested, was very small. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's why it was only adopted by low-volume markets in aerospace or in, in, in medical or in high-performance like uh, Formula One racing. Uh, that's who could afford it and, and didn't need to make that many high-volume components. So in the future, no, I think that in the future, systems like desktop metals production system and shop system are going to open up the volume targets that these customers can be considering, and you can start to produce parts on the same order of magnitude as metal injection molding and die casting and, and, and even, um, uh, even stamping. And, and I'll say that, but I'll, I'll use the caveat that I don't think that any of these processes are going to go away. I think there will always be a, a combination of complexity and volume that would all, you know, open up the most ideal manufacturing process. Like, for instance, if, if a part needs to be flat and small and it's not very complex, then probably the best way to make it is to stamp it, uh, right? So invest in some tooling and, and stamp away, and you, you probably have a very economical solution. But mm-hmm. still, for low for low volume and for prototyping, you know, you can print it to get yourself started. And in this case, additive manufacturing becomes a bridge between uh, concept and, and final uh, mass production. And we're seeing that happen all over the place where, our, you know, some customers or some designers don't, they don't have the time or they don't have the money to invest in the tooling that's required for the part while 3D printing allows them to, to do that. They, they allow them to jump in and, and test a design without having to invest in that tooling. Sounds like the same kind of limitations you find all over the place where it's cost, time, money. <laughs> exactly. The three, the three points, that's exactly right, that you always yeah. have to compromise. Yeah, because I know, for example, uh, Cincinnati Inc. has big area manufacturing machine, so I know you can print car bodies with that, but that's a particular kind of plastic-type material, I believe. That's right. That's right. I think they're using an ABS material. And there's, a, there's another company, I think it's um, Local Motors, uh, yeah. who has demonstrated mm-hmm. pr- printing an entire vehicle out of plastic as well. And, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, certainly the next step is to do what they're doing, which is very low-resolution printing, but to do that in metal. And then uh, and, and we'll mm-hmm. grow from there. So is desktop metal's focus or one of your focuses primarily in automotive, or are you looking to, into some other areas? Oh, yes. We, we, have, we have many, many different verticals in which our printers are applied, but one of the major ones is automotive, for sure. And, and it's because there's such an opportunity there, but we also have some early adopters uh, who are also early, in, early uh, investors in the company, uh, mm-hmm. like Ford and, and, and um, BMW. Mm-hmm. And these are, mm-hmm. these are companies that you know, saw our technology as a, as a good investment, but also wanted to use it themselves. And so they're bringing our technology in-house. They're applying it to their, their vehicles at first, you know, short runs. Uh, but then eventually they have ambitions to going into mass production. And they're finding the materials quite suitable for the applications that they're looking into? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the nice thing is that, um, you know, the material properties – are very, very similar to um, the material properties of, of a casting or of a extrusion of the same materials. And so, but e- even if the material properties differ slightly, all the engineer needs to do is consider that in their design. And then you, the properties are what the properties are, and you design around them. 
um, and then it applies to your, your application. And in some cases, the generative design tools can help with that too. That's exactly right. Yes, generative design tools also have a CAE built in, right? This computer-aided engineering or this FEA finite element analysis where they will consider uh, the loads and the strains and the stresses on the part in real time as they're designing it. Exactly right. All right. Is there anything you would like to address about metal 3D printing and automotive that I have not asked? Um, you have, uh, we have touched on, on, on so much um, to think about in automotive, but I, I think one of the other really interesting aspects is how it will affect the supply chain, uh, how it will affect the ah. worldwide manufacturing, yeah, and how, you know, we'll, as a, as a country or even as a state and even as a city, we'll be able to pull manufacturing back in and you'll mm -hmm. reshore it as a, you know, reshore it into the United States, but also reshore it into Michigan uh, or reshore it into Detroit, bring it closer to the point of manufacturing instead of have these long distance supply chains. And that's open really it up what we're Ohio. hoping for. Yes, yeah, that's right. Bring Ohio it into the and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You, well, you I got think, it. Bring I, it. Think, I think Local Motors has done or is trying to do something like that. Like, don't they have quite a few places around the country where they make they some do, of their yeah, they, prototypes? Yes, they have a slightly different business model where they set up garages mm -hmm. kind of all over the country and people right. can come in and they can work in there and, and manufacture inside of their space. And I think that, that's going to continue to happen where you're going to be able to distribute, distribute manufacturing into these smaller uh, localized areas. It's going to become more affordable and instead of shipping final parts around the globe, will consolidate and homologate on, on a raw material, and then we'll be distributing that globally. And, and actually we'll have mm -hmm. producers in North America, South America, uh, Asia, Europe, um, all of these raw materials, and then they can be distributed and the actual manufacturing can be done uh, flexibly uh, more, more, more close to home. I can almost see a possibility where the small automotive manufacturer is able to take on the big automotive manufacturer Yes, that's exactly right. This type of technology will be the, the great equalizer for that, and, and small companies that are trying to compete with big ones won't need that huge investment. Yep, they'll be able to make it local. That's right. That's okay. right. Well, those are the questions that I had, Jonah, so um, thank you very much for your time and, and the opportunity to speak with you. It was my pleasure, really. Um, it's always good to talk to you, um, and I hope to connect again soon. Thank you.